Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup, where Landon, Rebecca, and D-Days are going to ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. How's it going, guys? We're great. How are you? Hey, fantastic. We've got an exciting episode for you. This is episode 53 here, where uh, the Mormonish podcast are co-hosting. We're going to talk about Joseph Smith versus Moby Dick, uh, Mormon commencement speaker controversies, and the Saturday 193rd General Conference reactions. This is going to be a big episode, right, guys? Absolutely. Really excited. A lot yeah. happening this weekend. Yeah, you betcha. Now, we're going to kick this right off the bat here. Uh, Rebecca, you got the Mormon News Joke of the Week, right? I do have the Joke of the Week. So, at school, it was show-and-tell day, and each child was some, supposed to bring something in that would represent their faith. They were studying religion. So, little Mary walks up to the front of the class, and she says, My name is Mary, and I'm Catholic, and this is a rosary. So then little Isaac walks up to the front of the class and he said, my name is Isaac. I'm Jewish. And this is a dreidel. Then little Brixley spelled with an X K Y G gets up and walks <laughs> to the front of the class and says, I'm Brixley. I am a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And this is a casserole. Very nice. I like the spelling. That's a good spelling, by the way. It's Utah spelling, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's good. That's great. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, we're at mormonnewsroundup.org. How, how can people get in touch with the Mormonish podcasting host? Oh, that's a good question. We have a Facebook presence, Mormonish Podcast. We have mormonishpodcast.org. You can find us on YouTube and on any podcast platform. Well, that's absolutely fantastic. And we're going to get to the general conference reactions here uh, in a moment for Saturday. But in the meantime, let's talk. Let's jump into the news that happened this last week. Can you see my screen here, folks? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah, you betcha. So China, this is an amazing article here. China is using Mormon church to influence U.S. politics investigations fines. So China allegedly fostered connections in Utah, some by way of the Mormon church, in order to influence U.S. affairs, according to a new report. And I know you guys did an entire episode on this. What's happening? Yeah, this one, this one's interesting. Uh, you know, if, if, when you read it, there's not initially a whole bunch. You, you say, oh, they they met with this person or they helped to uh, negotiate a meeting or put together a meeting with the ambassador or something like that. But basically what's happening is China, uh, as you as you may realize, there's not a lot of great relations right now between Washington and China. So China's taking an approach that what they're going to do is they want to try to hit uh, lower local uh, governments and to try to try to make inroads roads and basically kind of divide the local state governments from the national government and try to befriend them. And so they've, they've uh, jumped on this wagon. And of course, if you're going to look for one state that you can um, manipulate pretty easily, uh, you look at Utah. It's hey! completely controlled by the uh, LDS church who wants to build a temple and wants to have missions in your country. You just gotta, you just gotta get with about twelve guys, and if you can win them over, you can win over the state legislature. And I think that's what they're saying is that they're targeting Utah, and they've actually sent over a professor who teaches at uh, a university, uh, Weber State University, who uh, seems to be doing a lot of backdoor uh, politicking, who happens to be in the same ward, a Chinese national who moved to Utah, who's in the same ward as the state, uh, uh, the Senate, uh, the head of the Senate. So. Yeah, some people are looking at that going, this just seems a little too too coincidental. Yeah, what are your thoughts, Rebecca? 
oh, I don't know, I think it's just a 10 mercy that they ended up in the same ward. I'm sure there's nothing going on there. So nothing at all. No, it does make sense. And I think a lot of people that we've talked to, they don't quite see it. They think, oh, that there's nothing there. But if you really dig deep, like what Landon explained, it does seem to be that there's perhaps a method behind that madness. And one of our conference predictions on Mormonish, we did a whole episode on that, was some kind of big announcement perhaps having to do with China. I mean, it, could there be progress on the temple? Could there be something like that? Because we all know that China is the giant golden goose, right? That, that everybody thinks someday we'll get into China. That's that's the big, you know, within our grasp, we need that. So I don't yeah, know. I, I can see it. I think we'll find out. I don't think the Chinese have influenced the Mormons very much, considering that Governor Cox, who is a Mormon, decided to ban TikTok. So whatever they're doing may not be having a big effect as they thought. You know what I mean? No, nope. They've got the tiger by the tail on that one. They think they have control of China, but it's completely the other way around, I think. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Now, our next article here is Colorado Mormon dentist who was idolized by his staff, who thought that he was the smartest man and saw how he worshipped <laughs> his wife, is now accused of killing her slowly with poison shakes. So the former uh, staff and patients of the Colorado Mormon dentist now charging with killing his wife, um, they have told their own disbelief over his arrest. They can't believe it. Land, what's your reaction? Well, I, I, I don't get into the social stories that much. In fact, when I read this, I thought he killed her with poison snakes. So uh, <laughs> that would have been a bigger headline. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, but there just seems to be something with these Mormon men uh, killing their wives. We seem to see that in several of these stories all over the place where these uh, Mormon, especially affluent Mormon men, uh, doctors and, and dentists that are uh, getting these uh these pills and are slowly murdering their wives behind the scenes. And it's like, you know, is, is divorce that bad that they would rather, uh, you know, is the stigma so bad that they'd rather kill them than to divorce them? I, I, I don't know what the, what the takeaway there is. I, I don't know, Rebecca, what's your thoughts on that? No, I agree with you. And I've talked to a lot of people on social media. And I mean, I personally live very close, blocks away from the doctor that, if you remember, probably like, I think it was 15 years ago, murdered his wife in the bathtub, moved the nanny in, you know, just a few days later. And, and yeah, there, uh, there does seem to be a lot of, and not just murdering of wives, but just true crime involving Mormons. I love true crime. And it just, <clears throat> and, and maybe somebody pointed out the issue really is that the the fact that they are Mormons gives the true crime an extra layer to it, and that's why it's covered in different media. But there does seem to be an awful lot. And for all we know, divorce does factor into it or the concept of the next life. You know, I can't deal with you here. We'll work it out <laughs> later. You know, I need to move on with my life. I mean, and we shouldn't make light, but it just it just seems really strange. Like I if you I, we, I started seeing these out on social media with different people about how many Mormon affluent men have killed their wives and there are quite a few. It, yeah. it's, it, I don't know. I can't explain it either. What do you think? One of the most amazing things is after these psychopaths end up killing their family members, their wives, their children, their families, the way that they speak about them afterwards, we saw this at the Enoch yeah. killing, that they were yeah. great people. Even his staff, after mm -hmm. he killed his wife, said this was a wonderful person. On the outside, you will not be able to see you know, anything on the outside. He looks great. Think about Ted Bundy. On the outside, everything was fine. Yeah. Mark Hoffman, on the outside, everything's fine. And so when these things yeah. happen, there's nothing underneath. There's no warning signs or anything that just, bam, something happens. And then afterwards, people are like, well, we thought he was the greatest guy in the world. It's just incredible. Their ward did uh, put a letter, or their state put a letter out that said, we can't judge. Right. You know, they actually, as I understand it, arranged for a lawyer for him. 
And it really reminded me, now that you mentioned Ted Bundy, back when Ted Bundy was a member of the church and he was in a ward and he was arrested the first time, there's a giant greeting card that the ward wrote. We love you, Brother Bundy. You know, it had pictures drawn all over it. So I don't know if it also goes to the fact that, gee, it seems like sometimes the Mormons will um, judge based on the outside. If everything looks good and happy and wonderful and he's worshiping his wife, it must be fine. And maybe not so aware of something, you know, an undercurrent that isn't fine. Maybe that's into it. I don't know. They probably took over a casserole. He took a casserole. That's it. That's right. They took a casserole <laughs> over to him. So, but the letter had no mention of, of his wife who'd been killed. And she was very prominent <clears throat> in the state too. They listed out their callings. He was elders quorum president. She was choir director and family history, you know, person. And so, you know, they were your uber active people right there in the ward. And after the fact, it's just everybody, let's take care of brothers so-and-so. So I don't know. It's a, it's a difficult situation. To be doesn't it seem that they're that they're always on the wrong side of the, that they always yeah. seem to side with the killer and not with the, the victim. perpetrator. Uh, yeah. Seems. Yeah. Their bishop sent out a note to the ward afterwards. that says that we don't judge, but I thought the bishops yeah. were the judges in Israel. I thought that was literally his job. <laughs> well, he not, can judge. We can't. <laughs> but he, I guess he, he can judge people who don't pay a full, full tithing. He can judge people, a 12 year old boys who, I don't know, touch themselves once a week, but he can't judge this uh, homicidal killer. Hmm. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's a problem. That's a problem. Now, our, our next article here is the reopening of the Salt Lake, uh, the historic Salt Lake Temple is again being pushed back. So this is a massive renovation. It's been taking years trying to get this thing seismically upgraded and ready to rock and roll. This is the second renovation that the uh, that the Salt Lake Temple has gone through. And folks, it's been delayed. It's gonna, it's not going to be completed until 2026. I think it might take even longer than that. I think their accountant said, we got to burn more money. <laughs> hurry, hurry, do something, right? So, I mean, this is a bottomless pit. It could be a never-ending project if they wanted it to be. And um, as has been discussed before, there are now plans that people are aware of of an entire innovation of the entire area, making it into more of a theme park kind of a, a comp um center and, and temple square renaming and all that so yeah i think that they can they can funnel money into this for a really long time and i think that's that's what it's all about because if they really wanted to finish it i feel like they'd be able to finish it they have unlimited resources unlimited manpower they could probably finish it next week if they needed to <laughs> so yeah i i predict it might even be longer than 2026 i think it might even go longer for whatever reason we don't know their reasons Having worked in construction, this is a very technical project when you're talking, and, and if right. you've been over to the, as you said, it's a, a bottomless pit. It is a huge pit over there. It's They've dug everything out. Um, Literally, it's, it's, it's a, a huge pit. It really yeah, is. it's a pit. <laughs> it's a complicated project, that what they're doing over there. I, I haven't seen anything to that level anywhere where I've ever been, uh, and, and I've worked some pretty high uh, high-end construction jobs. So it, it doesn't surprise me. It's pretty standard in, in construction world to have delays when you have something that uh, uh, that complicated, uh, the issues come up. And so I, to me, it's kind of a standard construction delay, but uh, it, it is another place to park some of that money that they have, no doubt. Yeah, there's been a lot of construction delays with the uh, temple, not only in select, even selecting the location of the temples, like the Austria temple. We're four years. Um, it's Austria. This, is, this isn't this is Iran. This is Austria. We don't know where the temple is going to be in Russia, in Austria, in China, so much less temple locations. Also, the groundbreaking of them is taking a long time. The, re the, the renovations, the Washington, D.C. temple took four years to renovate that temple, four years. Okay, so the, the, there's the, this is a very expensive project that take a great deal of time, and we're seeing a lot of pushback on them. Any last thoughts on this, Rebecca? 
Um, I think also it's positive PR. It's one of the few areas where you always get positive PR. And so why not extend that a little bit? You, know, you can keep in the news, hey, this is happening. Look at this exciting. Look at this. It does. It keeps a steady stream of positive PR when you're building a temple and renovating a temple. So, and they need that. They need, wherever they can get it, they need those streams. Absolutely. Now, our next article here is uh, one that you brought out here, uh, Rebecca, the Celebrate Easter with Stream Concert and New Videos. And this also goes along with the church uh, promoting Palm Sunday, which, for my mind, that is not something that the church doesn't really follow an Advent calendar or necessarily the liturgical calendar that a lot of other Protestants or Catholics do. But you also pointed out that in this particular uh, in this particular uh in this particular video, there's a lot of unusual uh, filmography. Uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting pictures in this video here. What did you notice when you went through this, Rebecca? Yeah, it's actually a beautiful video. It goes through the life of Christ and um, it, with music, as you can see there, then paintings. And of course, I was curious about the paintings. They tell a little bit about each um, artist, and then they show some of their artwork depicting life. So right there on that picture right there. So I was, of course, remembering the Mary painting at Christmas time that had been doctored where, you know, a higher neckline had been painted in. So I wanted to look at all the pictures and I checked each picture, especially of a woman like that one that you were on. That was a picture of an artist to see if they had done anything. But no, they had chosen pictures front that were already modest. That picture of the woman artist, there was another picture of her where she had a lower neckline. So they definitely chose the one where it was higher. But the other thing I noticed is that when it comes to showing Christ, um, didn't have the same <laughs> the same sensibilities. He's shown, you know, of course, um, as most fiction pictures are, you know, with the full look, unclothed, you know, wing just, of course, what you would be crucified in. So I thought that was interesting, but I was definitely curious about the women to see if they had had to make any adjustments. And back to your point about um, Easter and all the other important days surrounding it, on Mormonish Landon and I, that was one of our predictions. I, I'm like you, growing up, what's Palm Sunday? Good Friday, hmm, kind of looked down on our friends maybe a little bit that we're celebrating that. That's something else. That's not what we do. Suddenly, <laughs> we're being told, you know, in the church news and on conference yesterday, we need to, even more than Christmas, we need to start celebrating everything surrounding Easter, Good Friday, Palm Sunday. Why have you guys been doing this? I don't understand why, you know, it was kind of like that. And everyone's going, what's that? I didn't know about that. So, yeah, definitely taking Easter by the you-know-what <laughs> and really make that an important celebration. Don't you think, Landon, didn't you get that Sanchester Conference and just in general? And not anything we grew up with at all. Yeah, the, yesterday, one of the things they, they talked about, the, the very first, right out of the gate, that was their opening talk was on Easter. But then they made the statement that, the greatest Easter story told is in the Book of Mormon, but I didn't see any Book of Mormon video in there of the destruction of Zarahemla and the killings of tens of thousands of people as part of the Easter message right. there. So I guess they wanted to leave that part of the story out. Yeah, 30, very 30, hopeful. Yeah, Third Nephi chapter nine isn't exactly the uh, faith-promoting Easter story that I think people are looking for. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Um, if well, that's I, I just do, on the healing part. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, what's interesting, I, I run another channel called Mormon Movie Reviews, and we I reviewed a film strip called Children of Promise, which is episode 49, which also talks about when Jesus came to uh, third, in 35 to the American continent, he killed everybody. And then what's interesting in the film strip is it shows Jesus coming to the Temple of Bountiful, and there's still dead people circling around the area. Okay, those, those dead people are around, they're circling around the area, and then the next film strip, they're just gone. Now, he didn't heal them, they're just, they just disappeared. So apparently when he came in, killed everybody, and then all those dead bodies and carcasses, he just made them disappear. I guess that's the true Easter miracle, not sure. But that's a good episode for you guys. <laughs> Any last thoughts on this one, guys? No, just I think we'll hear more and more about Easter, and I think the overlying principle is we are Christian 
we are just like you, just like every other Christian. Look, we celebrate this and this. We're Christian. There it is. Absolutely. Now, our next article here, Landon, is uh, in your neck of the woods. This is your governor, Spencer Cox. He said that he wants to support a ban on all TikTok, and Utah has really uh, clamped down on the children's social media accounts. Um, data privacy concerns exist on nearly all social media sites. He's making the rounds on Fox News and everywhere else. Uh, why is he trying to get rid of TikTok, do you suppose, Landon? Well, you know, TikTok is, it, it's not unique to Utah. The federal government's been clamping down on it. Uh, I know that there's supposedly some back doors that when you share stuff that the Chinese government can come in and take all the data off your phone is what I'm reading. I, I don't know how they do that or what that's all about. Um, the, the thing that makes this interesting to me is, is that they're not just trying to ban TikTok, though. The Utah legislature just had a whole social media thing that they said that kids can't get their own social media accounts. They must have their parents' permission in order to get a, a social media account. And those social media accounts, they can't be on them from like 10.30 p.m. to 6 a.m. So that to me means a little more than China coming in and getting your TikTok because that relates to Facebook and, and other uh, Instagram and other social media platforms that don't have that. So to me, this looks a lot like the church trying to put its hands it through its other arm, the Utah legislature, uh, which we know is 85, 90% LDS, uh, and that they're they're just putting that out as, as a way to, I, I think it bothers uh, a lot of the members of the church that they can see so many of these messages uh, that are being out on social media. They're, they not only do they see the church's messages, but they also see the messages of the people who have left, and they're trying to limit that and allow the parents to control that more so they don't see it. I, I kind of see a back room thing happening there more than just TikTok. That's my take on it. Rebecca, does this have anything to do with the church? Um, I feel like Landon said, I, I feel like it, it, any politics in Utah, it can't help but have something to do with the church. And, and I think all the legislators know what the church would like to see happen. So I don't know. I know that I know there's a lot of emphasis on parents. Be careful with your kids and social media, which is great advice. It is. I mean, of course, we need to be careful. But now to actually put that into legislation, to me, that's a little heavy handed. And I don't even know how they're going to enact that. I guarantee you a file to find a workaround for all of this. <laughs> but I think it is, you know, social media, it just gets the message out there so quickly when it comes to other things that parents, Mormon parents may not want their kids to be aware of or, or hear about. So I don't know, I tend to think it might be related in some way. And it's interesting to note that they say that this is to protect the kids. And yet there were five bills uh, in the Utah legislature, I think it was five bills for the mm -hmm. uh, re mandatory reporting of, of sexual by, right. by uh, uh, clergy, and they didn't even make it for, for a, mm -hmm. uh, into the, it, to be voted on. They didn't even make out it of out, committee. out of committee. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that Governor Cox here is, uh, is uh, put his sights so firmly on TikTok in particular, because the church's social media presence, they have an official presence on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. They have no official presence. There's no uh, there's no President Russell M. Nelson uh, TikTok account, for instance. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of ex-Mormon and, and, and quite frankly, anti-Mormon content on TikTok. So the fact that the governor wants to uh, single out TikTok as especially evil and corrupt well, um, the more that you're on TikTok, I think the less uh, good of an opinion you're going to have about the church. So I don't know. You could put two and two together. Not sure. Any last thoughts on this, uh, on Governor Cox and getting rid of TikTok? We'll see if it happens. <laughs> yeah, very good. Now, our next article here is from the Widow's Mike here, and they dropped an interesting uh, tithing analysis, which I find to be very fascinating. So in some countries that, that have disclosure, that have better disclosure than the United States, for instance, uh, Canada, New Zealand, the Netherlands, United Kingdom, um, we can figure out the percentage of members who are actually paying tithing because they require a higher level of disclosure than what we see in the United States. 
And it, this this little chart here, if you're looking at it, it looks like the average uh, about uh, for these particular countries, about 25% of people take uh, pay tithing in a given are, are full tithe payers. Well, let's just say that. But the the percentage of people who are paying tithing it is continuing to fall. There's the rate of decrease is approximately one percent per year. So, and what's interesting is in the second, uh, in the second, uh, there's only two slides on this, that the tithing contributions, however, are continuing to either hold steady or even potentially increase. So number of percentage of persons who are in the church paying tithing is slightly decreasing, whereas donations are going up. That means that the people who are donating are donating in a more significant manner. Rebecca, what are your thoughts on this? Well, to me, this speaks to membership, perhaps, you know, you can, those countries that do have the transparency laws, it's really ironic, I think, that in each one, you see that same trend. And to me, that's, you know, just kind of handpicked, because it's just whoever happens to have transparency laws. That tells me it's probably a snapshot of what's going on all over, even the places where you don't have those um, transparency reports. And uh, it's interesting, that trajectory that you described, that tithing's going down, yet donations, the actual number is holding steady going up. So that tells me once they do have the people in the seats, in the pews, they are absolutely focused on that and saying, you need to donate. You need to donate more, right? Because the, every, in, other, in every other way, the donations seem to be declining. So I don't know, Landon has some good thoughts on that. We were discussing it last night. It is, it is interesting. Yeah, what was concerning to me is, is that those are all developed countries, as you noted, that uh, those numbers are going down in. So does that mean the underdeveloped countries are making up the difference in the tithing donations? Or is that why the uh, quantities going up as lower income nations are actually making up the difference. That's it's hard to say from that graph. You can't tell. I, I don't think so because that's what, those are just the tithing numbers for those countries. For, so, for instance, even through COVID in Canada, it, it, the census in Canada, for instance, the percentage of people in Canada who affiliate themselves as Latter Day Saints from the 20, 2011 census to the twenty twenty one census in Canada, it dropped ten percent, a huge, massive drop. But tithing donations in Canada continue to increase. So we're just looking country to country here. It's likely, in my opinion, that in less developed countries like in Africa, that your tithing participation rate would be less than 25%. I would imagine that it might be 15%. So these uh, the more developed nations, I think you will see a higher percentage of people who pay tithing because they can afford to do so than in less developed countries. Well, wow, so that may, that doesn't make sense, really, because then it's like, are they paying more than 10%? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Once they're sitting there, and the, my parents, they always, you know, probably 15% tithing, 15% fast hiring. They were very, very generous and committed because, you know, they were of the winds of heaven era, as I like to call it, where that was a huge emphasis in you do as a Latter-day Saint. You pay your tithing and you pay more and you donate and give your charitable, well, charitable well, <laughs> contributions. It, it could be that the members who are left in these countries, you know, the, the, the membership in these countries is decreasing. The people who are left are more affluent. So it's not necessarily that they're paying more than 10%. It's just the people who are gravitating toward the church in those particular countries are probably more well-to-do, which is actually slightly different than a lot of what, what you get in a lot of religions is the more education that you have, the less likely you are to participate in religion altogether. But that is put on its head with Mormonism. A lot of the, the, the more likely a higher level of education that you have, the more entrenched and secure you feel in the church. So it's kind of a dichotomy. Well, the more likely you are to be a leader when you have yep. the money, right. and that ties you to it, yes. Yep, yes, the church absolutely. works for you very well. For a certain demographic, a certain level of affluence, it works very well for you, absolutely. I thought they sister. were making donations to BYU there in Canada, though. Not <laughs> yeah, there, there is that. <laughs> 
That, that's a good one, Landon. That's a good one. Now, uh, our next article here is Southern Utah University. They have confirmed Elder Holland's invitation. He is going to be the commencement speaker with a small caveat. Of course, he does have COVID. And we don't know how that's going to affect it. But uh, just a couple of days ago, SEU said, yep, Elder Holland's our man. We want him to be the keynote uh, speaker at the commencement. Well, how do, you, how do you feel this is all going to play out, especially with him having COVID, uh, uh, Rebecca? Well, the first interesting thing to note is that they didn't say Elder Holland is our speaker. They said Dr. Holland. When they first announced him two weeks ago, it was Elder Holland. We're so pleased to announce that Elder Holland will come. Then, of course, there was a lot of controversy, you know, going back to his remarks in the, musk, the famous musket talk. He said he should not be addressing students. There's no reason to have him here, an ecclesiastical leader who has a now that they're doubling down, we are going to have him. He's Dr. Holland. He does have a doctor from Yale, I believe. So, of course, he is Dr. Holland, but it's a subtle difference. But it's also saying having him here as an educational leader, as someone who has a doctorate, forget about all that, you know, that elder stuff. That's not why we're having him here. So, but it's definitely, I think, going to heat up. There have been protests. There have been meetings. Students are trying to make their opinions heard. Apparently, that didn't work because he's still going to be. But like you said, he does have COVID. And I, I heard about COVID through some channels, even before it was announced in conference. And I heard that it was fairly serious. Like he really may actually be very impacted by this. It's not just, oh, we're at home. This actually might be fairly serious for him. So I think it's a very strong possibility, which would be convenient for everyone involved, that he will not be able to speak. So and we'd probably see that announcement within the next two weeks, I think. Yeah, this one's very upsetting to me because um, there, there were a lot of protests that the student body came and spoke out against it. And from what I'm reading, it was like 15 to 1 of the yeah. students that were against it. And it, it appears that the faculty just didn't care. Money talks. And it's Utah. It's very hard to come back and say, uninvite an apostle of the Lord in Utah. Mm -hmm. How do you uninvite an apostle of the Lord without offending, you know, uh, 50, 60 percent of your faculty and your uh, parents and, and all of that? Uh, to me, the fact that they invited him in the first place just showed complete lack of, of any form of reality based on the controversy as BYU talk uh, brought up in the, in the community. They should, have, they should have foreseen this. And to me, what's, what's most discouraging is, is that uh, ha having a son in Utah, going to, to, a, to a school in Utah, a, a university, uh, he's not in the church anymore is that you make a decision when you're here, whether you want to go to a religious ecclesiastical school, which there's plenty of here in Utah, or whether you're going to go to a school that's a secular school. And when you don't want to go to a religious school and you go to a secular school and then you're introduced right at the end, here comes the ecclesiastical speakers yeah. again. It's like, where are you supposed to go to get away from it? You went to a secular school and they brought Wendy Nelson to UVU last year. They're bringing Elder Holland to uh, SUU this year. Where do you go to escape the religious uh, talks if you're not if, if you're not LDS in Utah? And that that's why I was so uh, frustrated by this. I guess you just have to go to Jackson County. That's the only place. Yeah. I uh, uh, but seriously, you know, SEU scrubbed all the mentions from Harry Reid off of the campus. There's no buildings. You know, Harry Reid is the most powerful Mormon who's ever lived. Forget Joseph Smith. He was third in line of the presidency. Um, he was a linchpin of the U.S. government. He's an SEU alum, and he's not even mentioned on the campus. And yet we, and he has, um, uh, but but we still get uh, Elder Holland have the invite, but, SEU, but uh, Harry Reid was a no. I guess it's because Harry Reid's a Democrat. Not really sure. Any closing thoughts on this last one, guys? One, one more that that they they like to talk about diversity. We're seeing all these. Oh, we shouldn't we shouldn't cancel anyone. We need diversity of opinion. Yet would BYU ever allow a gay rights activist to come be their 
their speaker at their uh, at their uh, graduation. It would never happen. <laughs> well, I can tell you that BYU has not invited a gay rights activist to come speak, but they have uh, actually quite the opposite here. Brad Wilcox, uh, LDS leader Brad Wilcox, named graduation speaker at BYU-Idaho a year after his controversial remarks on race. So he did apologize for his remarks about, quote, the blacks, end quote, in the Latter-day Saint faith. Um, and he was, he's been chosen as the keynote speaker. And Rebecca, you noted this, you just can't buy a good graduation speaker anymore these days, can you? It seems not. I mean, think of how many people there are to choose from to speak at graduation. And it seems like they're making these choices that are just going to keep them in the news for weeks and weeks. A good speaker, which is really funny considering all the people out there that you could choose from. I mean, there are so many people in so many different arenas that you could have come speak, but they pick these people that are just going to keep them in the news. Although I agree with what you said, Brad Wilcox, he did apologize. He did say he was sorry. His remarks were not what they should have been. And of course, Holland, well, they do not apologize. They've made that clear. So, but again, we're starting to protest that he's the graduation speaker because of those remarks. So this is going to be news going forward too. Yesterday at conference was uh, a, little, uh, a little strange because we knew that he was going to be the speaker and he was the second counselor in the Young Men's yesterday. Uh, and if you recall, the first counselor was uh, was a black man. Uh, what's his name? Cor a Corbett. I'm on Corbett. Corbett, yes. And so they released them yesterday, and he took over the place of Corbett, and, and Corbett was right. moved into the 70s, so he's now Elder Corbett. Um, so all the people that were involved in that uh, controversy kind of uh, were raised up yesterday at a level <laughs> Yes, he's released, right? And then... Yep. <laughs> so he was released and it was kind of like, oh, they released him. And then, and then two minutes later, he was back in as the first counselor. So. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about drone conference here in a moment. Uh, yeah, absolutely. we got a lot of commencement uh, speaker uh, issues that are happening. And also, we've got this here. Uh, you guys are the Mormon Book Club. Uh, not, I'm sorry. You guys are the Good Book Club uh, yeah. hosts here. And so, obviously, you know Brandon Sanderson here. He's gone viral. This Mormon sci-fi author made $55 million last year. By the way, I hope he ties on gross and not net. I'm just putting that out there. So why isn't he taken more seriously? So, Rebecca, who is Brandon Sanderson, and why does he get no respect? Um is this persecution? Yeah, it could be. He's a very, very popular and prolific, oh my gosh, prolific uh, sci-fi author. And he is going to be the grad, again, we're talking about graduation speakers at UVU. And yeah. there was recently an article in Wired magazine. Isn't that right, Landon? It was Wired. We were reading it last night. Yeah, where they just were extremely uncomplimentary of him and extremely uncomplimentary, I think, of Utah even, you know, kind of jokes about, oh, I couldn't get anything to eat when I was visiting. I mean, I think Landon read it a little more closely than I did. What else did they say? It was just very uncomplimentary and, and no reason, you know, for absolutely no reason. Yeah, to me, this was, was less about uh, uh, the, the author and more about the writer from Wired. He just seemed like a snob. Uh, everything he said was, you know, oh, the guy can't write. And then he talked about how he took hours of, of, it, of uh, tape and then put it into an AI to generate a written AI article and it couldn't really produce anything based on what his comments were. And I'm like, you're complaining about his writing? You're the writer here and you're having AI. an AI generate the writing. And he, he was from San Francisco and he seemed put out that he had to leave San Francisco and come to Utah of all places. And, and the Japanese food was good, but all the rest of the food was not acceptable. And it just seemed like he was just that... Uh, like he was a snob and it really didn't have much to do with with uh, Sanderson at all so I was I was really I read it and I was like this is a bad bad writer from Wired this has nothing to do with the author and 
the author actually wrote a, I guess, did a video or wrote, we tried to find the video and couldn't find the video, but he wrote back a, a, a retort on it. And he actually uh, did, was, was very professional about it and, and did a great job with it. So for the writing, the genre he does, and our book club doesn't read his work, we're, we're not, we're not fiction and he's fantasy world. But uh, uh, one of the things they said is he does fantasy world and character development better than anybody out there. And that's clearly a Mormon trait. Yeah, we're actually, we're going to get into how uh, Melville also does a lot of good uh, fiction and how this all relates back to Joseph Smith. So you definitely want to stay tuned. Uh, if you can drop us a like, drop us a subscription, we'd be very grateful for that. Now, this next article here was fascinating here. A lawsuit, celebrity-friendly church in Kirtland requires workers to tithe. And, and uh, this is Kirtland near Seattle, folks, not Kirtland, Ohio, by the way. So a Seattle area megachurch that counts celebrities such as Russell Wilson and Justin Bieber among its uh, adherents. It is uh, it, it's being sued because it's requiring those pe persons who work for it to contribute a tithing. So you, in order to work at this church, uh, you get your paycheck from the church. You have to submit 10%, 10% back to the church. Otherwise, you're going to get fired. Well, there was a woman, uh, I think there was a couple of people, at least one of them in here, who fell on some hard times. I think she had a, a car accident uh, and she was struggling financially. And she wasn't able to pay that 10% to the church and she got fired. Well, they put together a lawsuit, and they're suing the church saying, hey, you can't require us to donate 10% of our check back to you. That's against the law. This is going to be a fascinating look here. And, Rebecca, I know this is near and dear to your heart. Uh, yes, I do have some experience with this because this is similar to how an employees of the church, um, how they would look at it, although there's an extra level in between. So in order to be an employee of the church, you do have to be a full tithe payer. Um, however, you go to your bishop to get that endorsement. So it's not the church telling you, you can't work for us anymore. They're just saying, well, you could not your endorsement, but it is very connected as you can see. So when I worked at BYU, we were always told we should be very grateful that we were being paid by our salary was paid by tithes, you know, and I always made the joke that I felt like it was pre-tithed because it was a little lower, <laughs> but it was, you know, it was a wonderful experience supposedly to work there for the church. But, but yeah, definitely I, I feel for this woman because there was a point and I've told this story before where I did say to my Bishop, I'm a partial tithe payer when I was first married and struggling. And, and he did say, I am going to have to get a hold of your job and let them know when it's possible that you might, lose your job. But whenever your money is tied into a church and a job, it can just become a big hot mess. And so I really feel for this woman because, um, yeah, it shouldn't be that way. They should not be connected. You show what you're getting into when you go in up front. So. I, I think the church, even if they, even if they uh, are able to win in this case, I don't think it'll affect the church at all because the church of that ecclesiastical endorsement, the church will say the, the employee, the employer is not saying whether this person is their bishop, their ecclesiastical right. leader is, and we don't know why they're not worthy. The ecclesiastical leader is determining that. And, and without that ecclesiastical endorsement, and I don't see any court who will say, you know, they're, they're all going to say that's a religious uh, freedom and, and we're going to stay out of it. Yeah, religions have a wide, uh, especially private institutions or religions, mm -hmm. have a, a wide ability to say what type of employee that they want to have. They can say, we're not going to hire a gay person. They can say, we, we're going to only hire people who are left-handed. I mean, th there's a wide discretion here, so I really don't see this as uh, anything that's going to be going any further. Speaking of lawsuits, this isn't the only lawsuit that we've seen here in the news here. And this was in the Utah State, uh, United States District Court here. And uh, uh, Laura Gabby and a couple of others here, they sued the Corporation of the President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And what they did in this lawsuit here is that the, they basically sued the church for fraud. The plaintiffs generally allege that the church has intentionally misrepresented its founding to induce the faith of its members, even as its leaders hold no sincere religious belief 
in the versions of events that they promote. This uh, particular lawsuit, it failed, and uh, they didn't get anything. I found this to be a very interesting article. What are your thoughts on it, Landon? Yeah, after we talked yesterday, I went back and looked at this because uh, it, it's a long it's a long read and it's pretty complicated because there's like three different affidavits going back and forth that they keep refiling on and stuff. And, uh, you know, the court basically said, uh, we can't make a determination because you're saying you were defrauded because of the Book of Abraham or historical things. And they said, we we, we throw that out. You can't even bring that into a courtroom because that's religious and, and the, the court doesn't make a determination on religion. However, they did allow arguments on the last one, which was that they were lied to about the tithing and the city creek yes. funds and that they were using it for commercial uh, purposes. And uh, I think you'd said in the show notes that the court had ruled that they um, that they had to have a standing of some sort in order to do that. And they threw that out. Um, let, let me read. Let me read that to you. I'm sorry. Yeah, to you let could. me read that portion to you, because, yes, James Huntsman did the same thing. He said the church was based off of a fraudulent means and therefore I get my tithing back. And at the lower level, it was thrown out. We're expecting to hear his appeal um, soon. And it's probably also going to be thrown out. But what about this? What about this? What you mentioned? The fact that the church withheld the financials to me, meaning I made donations when I thought that the church was broke. And it turns out the church isn't broke. Let me read this to you because this is very important. The biggest takeaway for me from this article, it says, let me quote, the court agrees with the church that the plaintiffs failed to state a claim for fraudulent nondisclosure on the tithing theory because plaintiffs cannot show that a legal duty exists between the church and its members requiring disclosure of material financial information, end quote. So basically, the church doesn't have to tell you if they're worth billions. They don't have to tell you if they're penniless. The church does not have to tell you anything about its finances, and you're not going to be able to get anything back out of the church because they misled you over finances, which obviously has, uh, is very prescient considering the SEC fine. Rebecca, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, I know it's a very interesting case we've been following, and I've been talking to a couple friends that are um, attorneys like RFM, and there's someone in our book club that I talked to too about it. And I think we're all watching really carefully as these new developments come out. And to me, it seems like there's that concept of being misled, of course, and truth claims. But then there's the idea of more of a corporate fraud feel to it where they absolutely knew what their customers would do if they had certain information. They knew that they would stop paying if they knew about the money. So then they're not really speaking to them hiding it. They're speaking to the actions and the reactions of their, I'm calling customers, members. And that can get into a corporate fraud kind of a gray areas. I'm not giving up hope on this. I still think that there's we're going to see more. I think we're going to see somebody try a suit. What do you think, Landon? We've talked about this. Yeah, I what, what I read is there basically was like seven things you had to do to prove fraud. You had to say specifically when, specifically who, uh, specifically what they did, that they had a knowledge that they were frauding you. And they didn't have that in this case. So the question is, did the SEC misfiling of these forms constitute fraud where somebody, specifically the first presidency and the, and the uh, uh, presiding bishopric, specifically knew that they specifically did an action and and does that now meet those seven things because the court said you didn't you that they said your attorney didn't argue any of these things they basically uh didn't prevent they didn't provide us anything to even rule off of and that's and so they went to that to that response so it'd be interesting to see if that sec gives them the specifics that they need now to argue something like that so i think there's still hope uh, but mm -hmm. it, it was a little disappointing that they say that, you know, it doesn't matter if they don't have to tell you anything uh, no. when they're asking for your money. So Right. They don't, they don't have to tell you. They don't have to tell us anything. You know, uh, private institutions and churches in the United States, they just 
They don't have to disclose their finances. They don't have to tell you anything about what they're doing with the donations. And um, it's going to be a real uphill battle for any class actions that come out, even after the SEC ruling. It's going to be a real uphill slog that's going to take a long time. Now, our next article here, you guys are the good book club people, so I'm trying to give you guys some red meat here. Joseph (laughs) Smith influenced Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick. This is the first time I've ever heard heard this. This This is from the Deseret News, and they said uh, this was published on March 27, 2023. That they, although they never met in person, a clear influence of Latter-day Saints is evident in Melville's writings. And, you know, I, I've read some of Melville's writings. I haven't read as many as you have probably. I haven't seen too much of a Mormon connection uh, in between these two individuals. But I do want to say it's, it's very interesting to me how Joseph Smith is always an influencer. You know, I guess he's the original influencer, but he's never an influencee. Nobody influenced him. He got his, his ideas straight from the source. What are your thoughts on this, Rebecca? Yeah, that's important. It's an important uh, clarification. He absolutely is the source, and he is the influencer. Absolutely. Right. Well, this this uh, this article headline caught my eye because I'm like, okay, that's interesting. They were you know, fairly contemporary, and I'm sure that, like many people, Melville had heard of Joseph Smith. But but this connection, this idea that it's influenced. I mean, here an example: Samuel Clements also knew of Joseph Smith, and he had even read or tried to read the Book of Mormon, and he had said, of course, the famous words, it's cold in print. So equal influence there. Are we supposed to say now because Samuel Clements mentioned the Book of Mormon and knew of Joseph Smith that Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, that they were influenced by the Book of Mormon? It's a huge stretch, but it makes a good headline, and they can have those pictures of Joseph Smith and Melville, you know, so uh, sort of an affinity kind of a situation, but I don't see any influence whatsoever. I, I see a huge, a huge impact there. I think Joseph put the dick in Moby Dick. So, it's funny that you decided to go there, Landon, because that does go along with because actually that goes along extremely well with our Mormon News Roundup uh, poll of the week. If you come on over to Spotify. Uh-oh. Um, you can interact with us on our poll. And guys, I'd like you to uh, help me out with this particular poll here. And uh, the poll of the week, uh, Rebecca, do you have our poll of the week here that's uh, regarding uh, yes. uh, Herman Melville and Joseph Smith? What is Let the poll? me pull this up. Okay. Uh, the poll of the week, uh, what do Joseph Smith Jr. and Herman Melville have in common? That's great. Do you want me to read all of them or do you want me and Landon to trade off? How would you do yeah. it? Yeah, uh, Landon, take the first one if you would and then Rebecca the second yep. if you don't mind. Landon, Perfect. what's uh, what's option Perfect. one? Based on the title of Melville's most famous book, The Well's Size and Joseph's Impressive Harem, they are both obviously compensating for something. <laughs> yeah, but just like you said. <laughs> That's exactly like you said. You know, it seems like they're both compensating. Uh, how about number two? <laughs> what do you think, uh, Rebecca? Segue. Number two. Okay, number two, one made up fantastic American tales that only deluded followers actually believe happened. Other- Never mind. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Oh, maybe there's maybe there is a lot to be said about those two having a lot in I'm common. I'm rethinking my stance. Yep, yeah, I absolutely. think you're right. Or how about uh, Landon? Is it number three? One is the quintessential great American novelist. The other is the quintessential great American philanderer. Yeah, I'm not, now I don't know which one goes to which. I don't know my history that well, but I, I have a suspicion of which one is which. Uh, how about uh, number four? Now, this, this is very interesting to me, uh, Rebecca. What do you think? Number four. Yeah, number four, Melville actually wrote his famous books, whereas Joseph Smith technically plagiarized from Mormon, Moses, and Abraham. Right. People, now, oh, this is my soapbox. People argue that Joseph Smith is a great author, but he's just a plagiarist. You know what I mean? He he didn't hardly write anything. In fact, the Doctrine and Covenants is supposed to be a revelation from Jesus. He didn't write anything on his own, hardly at all, which, uh, by the way, he and David Bednar have a lot in common in that respect. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay. Or is it number five? Landon, is it number five? One wrote books that touched the heart of the common man. The other touched a lot of women. 
Hashtag tender mercies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, maybe they do have much more in common than I thought that they did. Now, uh, let's go ahead and uh, oh, by the, I, let me ask you, Rebecca, which one did you uh, want to select? I forgot to ask you, Rebecca, what, which one do you want to select there? What, uh, did, well, what did they have in common? I have one that made me laugh the hardest was the last one. So okay. I think I'll go with that one. But they're all very good. And I've changed stands. They have everything in common. They were literally blood brothers, I think now. Totally changed yes, my view. What about Landon? What do you think? I'm going to go with number one. I think they were compensating. <laughs> okay, they were compensating. That makes a lot of sense. That's very good. I really appreciate that. Now, our next uh, our next article here is we're going to hop into the sad. We're recording this on Sunday morning. So we're, there's three uh, sessions of general conference here that uh, we've already had. And we're just going to give a couple of uh, brief hot takes here that uh, that go along with this general conference, 193rd session. And you found this. Uh, you, there's you know, For the first time here, international singers are invited to perform with the Tabernacle Choir at general conference for the first time ever. And uh, look at these handsome folks here, Rebecca. What are your thoughts on uh, the Motab? getting a slight upgrade. Yeah, I think this was kind of great. I think we've seen in the past uh, years, they have kind of cut away to choirs in other countries, you know, had musical numbers. But in this case, they actually let, typically the rule is, I think you have to be within 100 miles of the tackle to join the choir because practices are intense and, you know, there's a lot of practice that goes into that. But so um, they put out a call, I think last year that they wanted to have some international influence and, and have some people come in. So they vetted these people um, went through the whole ecclesiastical process and they chose these wonderful, talented people and they actually brought them to conference to join the choir. So, and my hope is that maybe they would also be able to, I don't know, up the wardrobe a little bit. Maybe this international influence might give a little more flavor or flair because I think every year, if you're on Tabernacle Choir Wardrobe Watch, like I am, it's often a hot mess. <laughs> I was hoping maybe just something else. I don't know. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, let's also, it is general conference season here. And I got this article here from LDS Living. I want you to get your take on it, Landon. Dr. David T. Morgan, how to avoid general conference overwhelm tips from a licensed psychologist. Do you need to have professional help before you watch a general conference weekend, Landon? Boy, I, th this one, just the, just the title caught you. It's like, really, I've got to go to a psychologist in order to attend conference. It was just like, wow. Uh, I was looking at some of the uh, conference reports yesterday, and, though, and I saw a meme that was just great. Uh, it showed the people sitting there in conference, and, you know, boy, they did not look like the joyful, happy people that were <laughs> They were all asleep and bothered, but uh, basically the article was, hey, it's all right when they tell you that you're all flawed and that you have all these problems. Just do the best you can and buck up and become a better person. And that's what the psychologist was trying to tell you. So, yeah, it, evidently it's quite triggering to watch. <laughs> I guess so. You know, uh, if you if you need a psychologist to be able to watch a couple of hours of TV, there might be a problem with uh, whatever it is that you're watching. Now, uh, you know, as we mentioned, Elder Holland here, right at the beginning of the conference, Elder Oaks uh, talked about how Elder Holland here um, uh uh, came down with COVID. And I'm, I'm looking at this meme here and it says, I can't believe that he didn't cry during Titanic. Do men even have feelings? Well, um, Elder Holland has COVID and cannot participate in conference and it shows him crying. Now that's where it really gets a tear jerking here. Um, does My question for you, Rebecca, is does Elder Holland have the faith not to be healed? That's my question for you. Well, I think it's very convenient if he's not healed because then he doesn't have to deal with the whole SUU situation. So it's in his best interest to just sort of languish and recover. It's an acceptable explanation to everyone, and I think it solves a lot of problems for him. So, But, but, but I, I, I'm sorry that he has it. Oh, go yeah, ahead, Leonard. We don't have to worry because they have the solid oaks they can send as a backup to bash the uh, homosexual community. Oh, there you go. There you go. There you go. The LGBTQ. There you go. Landon, oh, you're killing me, Landon. Now, this is now, this is the first. Is it very fitting that the first general conference after the SEC fine is on April Fool's Day? Is that just, is that very prophetic? 
seems prophetic to me. Now, when they were uh, zooming out on the uh, when they were zooming out on the uh, conference center here, which of course is a fantastically huge uh, edifice and a really beautiful building to be on the inside, uh, performed inside of it many many times. Um, what do you notice when you look at the inside of the attendance there, Rebecca? Um, it really looks a little sparse. There are quite a few empty chairs, and maybe that's just a Saturday, possibly. I guess we'll have to see more what's happening Sunday, but you're absolutely right. It's very, very empty. I know yeah. they did limit tickets because of the construction. I thought, I don't know if they limited the quantities or what, but because of construction, they said they were going to limit some of the tickets. So I have no idea. We'll see on Sunday if they limit it to the same, same people. Yeah. Yeah, from Saturday morning, there was a couple of highlights that I want to talk about. First of all, we had Elder Gong's inspiring message about an attractive girl wearing one heck of a stunning bathing suit on the beach. No, I'm not making this up. That's what he said. I'm not exaggerating yeah, in the slightest here. So uh, I couldn't believe it. He's talking about a girl on the beach who he said is attractive. And, and it's just amazing to me, Rebecca, that only women in general conference get physical descriptions like attractive, lovely, or stunning. You never hear about a handsome guy or a, a, a stud muffin of a guy. It's always a lovely sister, beautiful sister. It's just, uh, can you believe this? Yeah, we instantly on Mormonage to make a meme, of course, and you probably don't have it, but we chose a picture of it. There you go. There, there it is. is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, because he literally said how that someone walked up to a woman on the beach and said, how can such a pretty girl wear such a modest swimsuit? And of course, then Landon added the line, said no one ever. <laughs> but creepy thing to say to someone and then creepier, I think, still for the girl to say, well, thank you. Would you like to come to my church? <laughs> you know, I mean, the whole thing was just bizarre. <laughs> uh, look, okay, he had he did a lot of anecdotes during this, and he had pictures that went with all of his other anecdotes about little stories about faith-promoting stories. I didn't care about the pictures on any of the other ones, and this is the only one that didn't have a picture on it, yeah. and that's the only one I wanted to see the picture of. <laughs> oh, and I guarantee you thousands of missionaries in the world were like, wait, he's talking about a swimsuit because they're allowed to watch conference, right? Yeah, they were hoping too. It's just even a modest swimsuit, right? <laughs> show me, show me. Okay, now let's listen. Uh, he says that not only was she attractive, he said that she was such an attractive girl. Okay, right. talk about a ten cow wife here, folks. That's yeah. That's <laughs> we are approaching Nancy Rigdon level of hotness. I mean, we're Ooh. we're getting right there. So, and then she said, and I want to quote from his talk. She said, uh, "quote She asked, would you like to come to church on Sunday?" End quote. She said this on the beach, wearing one heck of a swimsuit to someone she just met. Talk about flirt to convert. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked too. It he it he joined the church. It worked. You know, um, it absolutely when, works. when this talk is published later on, I really hope that Elder Gong links to her Instagram page in the notes in the Liahona, because that's what I'm really looking for here. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, now, and by the way, he doesn't refer to her as a young lady. She's not a young adult. She's a girl. In fact, she's an attractive girl. The use of the yeah. term girl here is really telling to me, you know? To, to me, the true miracle in this story was that that pickup line actually worked. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, I mean, th there's an implication that goes along with this story, you know, why, that he does not refute. Why did the male convert ask the girl about swimwear? Why is her choice of clothes remarkable at all? I go to the swimming all or to the beach all the time. I never ask anybody about their swimwear of any kind. You know, the, the implication here is that a very attractive girl at the beach can or even should display more of her body than an average looking girl or heaven forbid someone below average. And he doesn't refute that in his message. He doesn't say that that's a toxic message or, you know, you shouldn't be asking people about their swimwear. No, this is a, this is all part of a faith promoting story. You know, it's just really, this is, that, that guy was way out of line, you know? Yep. 
It's very well, troubling. and it all speaks to appearance too, again, you know, and again, why you might have to take Valium to survive conference, because what are you hearing as a woman watching conference? Oh, you know, attractive. If I'm not as attractive, I shouldn't even be on the beach. I mean, you know, it's all about judging and how you look. And, and then Landon and I were discussing how women that are called to callings, you know, at that upper level, they definitely all have a certain, you know, there's definitely a look <laughs> and definitely an attractive Ness level, I feel, you know, the other yeah. women might feel, yeah, we don't you know, see you're overweight looking, going, ladies yeah, called in to be the, the young women's president or, yeah. or the general relief society president. You look at them all, they look like they've just come from the day spa and, and had yeah. their makeup and hair done, uh, for, you know, by you can feel bad about yourself. Yes. Yeah. As a woman, I can say, you can look at, at that and, and look at their, you can tell their lifestyle, you can tell they're at a certain level and you do, and you hear stories like that and you start thinking, well, gosh, what do I wear? Or should I wear? Or what's he saying? It definitely can make you feel really bad. Yeah. yeah compare the Mormon woman against the Catholic nun picture yeah. that you get, you know, <laughs> they're two completely yeah. different versions of and women. <laughs> Yeah, and notice in Elder Gong's talk, what does God, what does this girl use her God-given great looks for? She literally uses it to bring additional tithing revenue to the church. Yeah. But that, that's what a woman's body is to be used for. Number one is making children, or number two, to attract men into the kingdom on the beaches of France. Now, he calls this ministering. That's not the kind of ministering that I'm familiar with. Just any, any last thoughts on this one? I, I, I have a big soapbox. Anything else? We've got to move on. I'm getting I think we me. haven't heard the last of this, though. I think people no. will dissect this talk and, and the different implications because it goes far deeper. I mean, we're just scratching the surface on it. But yeah, it's, it's important. Now, Alan Haney's uh, response, uh, it kind of also went viral from that uh, Saturday morning here. Um, he was a member of the 70, and he said, uh, do not use past prophets' voices to dismiss those of current prophets. The key is to follow the living prophet. Unlike vintage cars, the teachings of the former prophets do not gain value with age, end quote. Now, why would this be a problematic statement to make, Landon? Well, I grew up where we studied all for years. We take a different old prophet's uh, life and studied it every year, uh, the words of that prophet. So it seemed to me that these are the, these are the bedrock that we're uh, supposed to build everything on and isn't scripture nothing but old prophets uh, telling us what we're supposed to do that's supposed to be the standard that we look at that doesn't change and now they're saying oh whatever this person says we do it that sounds more like a dictatorship almost than anything but if if god is speaking through all these men why would the voice change we shouldn't even be running into a conflict if god is actually the one speaking in all of these cases so that's why i saw it problematic who's speaking men or, or god here Absolutely. You know, and uh, there's also another meme that went extremely viral during all this. And this was the talk that was given about the crushing of, of the bottles. Elder Haney also, he was in the church office building. He, he got invited to uh, share a meal with uh, President Nelson. And President Nelson, when he went to recycle his water bottle, he crushed it up and put it into the recycling area in order so that it would uh, take up less space. Elder Haney asked him about that. And pretty soon, everyone in the entire cafeteria was crushing plastic bottles. This was one heck of a faith-promoting story, right, Rebecca? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I couldn't quite believe this. And the memes were flowing. We made one late last night. Uh, yep, there you go. This is the way. Yeah. So what we made was a recycle bin full of uncrushed bottles, like all over it, on the floor and around it. And we said, a major victory for Satan. <laughs> that was our <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, or, or, how about this, uh, or how about this next one here? We have uh, Hank Smith tweeting out here. We have a celestial yeah. uh, bottle, yes. which is uh, not crushed. A terrestrial, <laughs> terrestrial is slightly crushed. And then celestial <laughs> bottle is all the way crushed up. 
this is the most faith promoting story that we can yeah. get. You know, we, we have a contrast. Moses part of the Red Sea, you know, brought forth the water and the, he brought forth the quails and the bread and, you know, led the children of Israel. Now we're getting crushed bottles. You know, I, the, 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 the apple has fallen a great deal, far, far from the tree. Now we see why we have to listen to the living prophets, because we don't get that kind of information from the dead prophets. This no, is, Brigham Young never said, crush your bottle. He never did. But no. to me, it's very problematic. What kind of story is that? This little, this, this little action by the prophet, and it, it's prophetic. It's blown up to all proportion. You know, he describes Oaks did it, and then Iring did it. And the one good thing I can see coming out of this is because everybody scrutinizes every single thing that the prophet does is that traditionally the LDS people are not so concerned with the environment or the earth or recycling. This may bring a wave of people really taking a look at it just from that one little action of crushing a bottle. So, well, it just but, you know, in, in the 1990s, the church was a big bottle, nice and fresh. In the 2010s, it was a little bit yeah. compact, and now nowadays, it's all, all the way crushed out of the bottom. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely. And yeah. you know, this is March Madness, by the way. It's March Madness time. Some people are not watching conference, and, and shame on them because there's March Madness. But you know, who needs a Bible four when you've got the big three? You know what I mean? <laughs> oh boy, you know, there's going to be a lot of memes that are made for this. Let me just give you one more. The restoration continues with the bottle crushed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is an on, you know, it is an ongoing restoration, right? You know, it used to be that we healed people with priesthood power, and now we're recycling in the basement of the uh, of the of the church office building. Let me give you one more here. General Conference, um, President Nelson. You now this is old Drake <laughs> meme where he uh, sees. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm never going to get tired of any of this. You know? yeah. no. no, you can always count on conference. For, I mean, that's why we all it, right? There's going to be something that's just going to go viral and go on and on. So We I were all great. just sitting back going, is this the best we have? Yeah, the best we have. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Elder Renlund here, uh, somebody posted this. Oh. I've got a few memes here. Uh, if you come on over to our Patreon site, you can watch this in full video, by the way, for um, Mormon News Roundup. Uh, Elder Renlund, how much makeup is he wearing? Is he wearing makeup? Does he need more or does he need less? I'm not an expert on it, but it it seems like somebody needs to help Elder Rumlin out just a little bit. You know, I feel like he's taking a page out of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He looks like Violet, who, remember, ate what she wasn't supposed to eat, oh. turned into a giant grape, turned blue and blew up. That's what I watched talk to think, is it going to, you know, is he going to get bigger and bigger? I don't know. There's something I, going on there. Though. I thought maybe um, he was an extra for Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, he may need a new makeup assistant i think we can say that much uh i think we can definitely say that now the church auditing did release a report here and uh you know what the church auditor is getting ready to release his report um yeah. people were on the edge of their seat for this and uh, apparently nothing has changed there's nothing to see here absolutely nothing, nothing happened right no sec not mentioned uh, all is well in zion gay zion prosperous this, to me, was the biggest thing of all of the whole conference um, was was this report and the fact that absolutely nothing happened, uh, because what we do know is that the church auditor in 2014 and in 2017 brought this to the church's attention that this was a problem and told them that they would probably run into problems with the SEC if they didn't fix it. And yet during both of those following the conferences, they came and told us. Everything was fine. There were no problems. They reported to the church that everything was standard. So what I learned from this is they're going to rubber stamp the audit report, regardless of whether there's an audit problem or not. And that's what I learned from this. And that's why, to me, this was the biggest story of the conference, which was an absolute non-story uh, when you look at it. Yeah, David Noyce tweeted out, he said, so far in general conference, nobody's mentioned the SEC. It wasn't mentioned whatsoever, not even in the auditing report. If I can't learn more about that, that's, and that's the thing. They said, we consider this matter to be closed. So when the matter is closed, it's not going to be mentioned maybe ever again. You know what I mean? 
And that's really unfortunate. You know, and um, one of my favorite tweeters out there is Christine Unders, underscore A here. And she said, listening to the audit report, all investments have been made in accordance with general auditing procedures and uh, practices. And she says, me an accountant, laugh out loud. Um, <laughs> I don't <laughs> think so. I do not think so. Now, if you looked out in the sustaining votes, I thought it was very interesting. When you looked at the sustaining votes, I predicted that there'd be a number of people with their hands raised. And in the senior leadership portion, the first presidency and the quorum of the fifth, the quorum of the 15, you did see quite a few hands that were raised, although the camera cut away very quickly, but you saw more people raising their hands than I think has ever happened before. And I think it's going to become even more common. What are your thoughts on the sustaining votes, guys? I didn't see it. I tried to look, okay. but that camera work was, was very quick. For quick. the sustaining, yeah. they would hold it there and you'd see all the hands go up and then they'd say opposed and the camera would flip back to the speaker immediately. Yeah. They did not want you to see if anyone was, was uh, raising it up. So I couldn't tell. It seemed to me, I don't know, I, it seemed like I saw quite a few people raising their hands, especially with the senior uh, core, the senior leadership of the church, although I may be um, inventing things. And we also discussed this earlier that uh, Brad Wilcox, you know, some people were rejoicing that he'd been released from the second counselor, but immediately he was uh, promoted um, and he's been brought into the first counselor. So apparently, if you go on a quite a diatribe and go basically off of uh, all, all common sense back in the tri-state fireside, cause a huge amount of controversy, uh, have to apologize multiple times and raise the negative profile of the church in very concrete ways, you get promoted. Who knows? Well, there's a reason for that, I feel, because they have to double down on you. They cannot throw you under the bus because then they will be admitting there is a problem in what you said. So they have to just bring you back into the fold, promote you, and make sure that everybody knows, oh, no, we're on board. Nothing to see here is basically what that does. By promoting, it tells everybody, no, move on. There is nothing to see here. So they did the right thing for them. I, think. I saw it as a power statement. We we don't listen to what anyone else says. We're in yeah. charge, and we we will decide who our people are. Yeah, fear not what the wicked may say, but the Lord alone we will obey. So it doesn't matter what the world thinks. It's only, um, you know, but there was a lot of enthusiasm. Um, somebody posted this uh, message here about this particular general conference. Oh, wait a minute. No, that's, uh, you know, the general conference. Oh, this, this that's the one Landon was describing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And yeah. Landon made a meme out of this, put a scripture on it. Do you remember which scripture that was, Landon, that you put yeah, on there? never did the Lord make a happier people in all the land. <laughs> and everybody's half asleep in the conference report. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's yeah. funny. Now, we did get the also we got the statistical report here for this last year which i found to be very interesting the church grew a uh, new new con new children of record only 90,000 very very low we've never recovered from the covid uh when, when the church the children of baptism went down it used to be 200 to 300,000 every year we never recovered it never came back also the new convert baptisms 200,000 um that's very interesting to me which i want to talk about in a minute and also the church grew you know the church grew 300,000 people but what's interesting here is that's only 15 additional wards 300,000 people fitting into 15. Basically, what this tells me is that, you know, the amount of active people, they're fitting all of those people into pre-existing wards. Only six new stakes for the entire year. What are your thoughts on church growth here, Landon? Yeah, we uh, we had uh, one of our book club members actually sent out this, and I think he compared last year's numbers to this year's numbers. So although there were 300,000 new people, the, the no total membership went up, by, I think, 197,000 is what his number was. And I guess that's because people die or, you know, records taken off the church. So he was saying 197,000, but that's 13,000 people per ward unit if you only added 15 units, which is just ridiculous. So that tells you people are leaving and they're they're creating a couple extra wards, but they're making the wards smaller to fill these. It seems to be the message that I get from that number because there's no way 13,000 people are, are are in a ward. 
Yeah. No, and what's interesting to me, so we have 60,000 active missionaries uh, currently. They brought in 200,000 converts. So you're getting about three for every missionary, about uh, three to one. But you need to think about this. And how many of those people who joined were as a result of those missionaries? In other words, if we eliminated the missionary program, how many people would still join the church? And my thought of that is about half of people would still join the church, whether there was a missionary program or not, because some people are just going to join the church. Okay, so that means that your average missionary is bringing in that they actually earned, that they did themselves, that they knocked on that door and found a soul who would not have been found without that missionary is only bringing in about one true person or a little bit over one per missionary. And remember, 75% of people fall away from the church as converts. So what we're seeing for the missionary effort, the church spends a billion dollars on the missionary effort that is subsidized by the members. The members chip in about uh, 300 million and the church chips in about 600 million. What we're seeing for a billion dollars worth of total effort of new converts that would not have joined the church without those efforts is an incredibly small number, maybe something like 50,000 people. So you have a billion dollars worth of expenditures to bring in truly about 50,000 people who will actually stay in the church. It is a tremendous endeavor and a tremendous expense. Any other, uh, what are your thoughts, guys? Sorry. I ran your numbers that you had, had sent out and that came out like $40,000 per convert <laughs> It's mm -hmm. what we're spending. Wow, your you customer might as well get acquisition. thousand to join the church, a kind of a signing bonus like the army. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, your yeah. customer acquisition cost is, it's just through the roof. It's absolutely ridiculous. And as we just learned at conference, go to the beach, put on some <laughs> swimwear. That is how you're going to get people to fill its pews. Simply oh, go to the beach. It's a win-win for everyone. Oh my goodness. I, it, that, that might work for you, Rebecca. It is not going to work for me. It is going to have the exact opposite effect. Never that, say never. Yeah. Um, it, that, that's not going to have the int intended desire. Now, we also saw Bonnie Corden, who's been the uh, center of so much controversy. Um, she has been released. And the uh, women, when they're released, it takes uh, place, uh, I believe, uh, right away. Or, uh, whereas when the men are released, um, it takes a couple of months. I could have that backwards, but Bonnie Corden, she's gone. But one interesting thing that kind of went viral for her is that she said that she and her husband, when they were um, serving as mission, when he was a mission president, that they were, quote, mission leaders together, end quote. Yeah. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on, you know, women uh, mission presidents' wives being mission leaders? Well, that's they try to spin it now for a couple of years now. They've been trying to make sure everybody recognizes that you're both called together. But as I understand it, the woman does not have the title. She is the wife of the mission president. So until it's, you know, President Corden and President Corden, just to use their names, um, I think it's a name only. If they really want the woman, the wife, to be a mission president, then she needs to have the title. Yeah, they should make them co-presidents. That's really what mm -hmm. they are. The, the, they are. The, anyone who's been on a mission knows that the, that the wife uh, pretty much oversees the sister missionaries. And, and deals with a lot. I mean, yeah, they do report to the mission president as their priesthood leader, but most of the most of the women type issues are dealt with by the mission president's wife, and she oversees that side. So it, they really do work together, and she does help with the elders when they've got problems that you know you need a mom type figure. So uh, they they really are called together as a team. So I don't know why they don't give them both. You you can be a primary president and be called mm -hmm. president. Why can't you be a mission president and be called a president when you're uh, the wife? No reason they don't have the title. 
Yeah, a couple of other uh, tweets that went out here. This is from the church news here, uh, which uh, kind of went viral. It says, uh, quote, when parents ignore the counsel of the living prophet, they not only lose the promised blessings for themselves, but even more tragically teach their children that what a prophet says is insignificant or that prophetic counsel can be picked through in a smorgasbord fashion without concern for the resulting spiritual malnutrition. And quote this back from Elder Haney. So it's just, there's no smorgasbord. It's all or nothing. You take it all or you leave it all. There's a binary way of thinking. And hey, I thought that the church was trying to get away from a binary thought. Well, that doesn't work because then people think for themselves and then they leave. <laughs> no, we knew this was coming on Mormonish. We did do a, a conference predictions episode, like I said, and we knew this was here. People are leaving. It can't be problems with the church or the doctrine or the leader or the organization. Where are the problems? The parents. <laughs> we didn't enough. We didn't do a good enough job. It's our fault that uh, the younger Jaden, quote, quote, um, is leaving. So we expected this talk to be here and we're actually saddened for anybody that would believe that or take it on because that's the, but I know there are going to be many people that are going to feel again, like that article pointed out, you know, how we survive conference. These are the kinds of things that you're going to walk away and you may not know why you feel bad inside, but it's because of this, you know, you've done something wrong. Your child, for heaven's sakes, you cannot be responsible in that way for the choices. I mean, I don't bring the agency word into it, but no, here we're told that it is our, our fault. If our child is going to the chakarama, our child is partaking of the smorgasbord <laughs> and making the wrong choices, it basically lays on the feet of the parents. So it was a disappointing talk, but I knew it was coming. But didn't he just say that we need to pick the new prophet, not the old prophet? So of your smorgasbord of prophet, prophetic uh, things, which one are you supposed to pick? Uh, you, uh, as a parent, you're going to teach the ones you learned as you grew up. And now you're supposed to ignore that, that and pick the new really one. Point. No, that's a good point, because I feel like my kids would come back from seminary and I'd go, that's interesting. That's not what I was told when I was young. You know, everybody's at a smorgasbord. My parents who are in the 80s, they're living in a 1980s church. The things they haven't heard a lot of the things that are now what my kids are hearing. So, yeah, everybody's living at a smorgasbord. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm still working on my general conference bingo. I've got my um, our beloved prophet. I've got that checked off the list. I've got yeah, the puritanical yeah. teaching on modesty and sexuality. I've got that. I've got the bad sexist joke check. I've got the incredible low bar miracle, but I'm still waiting for the um, uh, the white saviorism in an African nation. I'm still in order to get my bingo. I need that one, yeah. and I also need uh, ten plus temples dedicated in areas with declining membership. So I'm still working on my bingo here. I don't know if you guys are into that, but I, yeah. I work oh. on my bingo. No, we made a bingo card. Mormonists made a bingo card, only we called it the Bite Model Conference Bingo Card. And we just put some overarching concepts on the square. The middle space was, of, call, of course, called free agency. And then we had emotional control, thought control, information control, behavioral control, you know, stretch to cover the gamut of everything. So people are liking this card. I've had a lot of people come me and say, hey, I got blackout in the first conference <laughs> session. So, there's been a lot of interest in the Byte Model Conference bingo card. Yeah, now, uh, could I, I saw a text which I think basically sums, sums up General Conference here really well. And could I have you guys uh, role play on this? Uh, can you take the first uh, uh, first line here, Landon? Wow, this conference is so good. Mm -hmm. You're watching? Of course. Well, why is it good? The talks are just super good. April Fools, I'm not watching, and they aren't good. Ha <laughs> uh -huh. You just made my day. <laughs> I think that basically sums it all. I think that sums it all up for me about right there. Uh, we did have, um, you know, the Saturday session, which was uh, the, the shortest session ever. This was like an hour long session here. The shortest session in all of general conference history. 
Um, it was also apparently the first session that did not have an apostle speak into it. And also make note of this, President Nelson, he didn't address, he didn't, he was presided, but he didn't say one word for all of Saturday. Um, it's very unusual. What are your thoughts on uh, Saturday session and lack of uh, President Nelson? I think his attorneys advised him not to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh man, I don't know. I can't make anything of it. We, you know, we almost have to apologize because we did a we we did a conference predictions, and we we were thinking of all these great uh, pronouncements that they could do. And after watching Saturday, we were just our heads are in our our hands are in our heads, going, "This is horrible." There's not a single exciting, faith promoting, new idea coming out of this conference other than squash the bottle. That's <laughs> yep. Squash the bottle and put on your swimsuit. That's what I took. That's what I wrote in my conference journal. That's what I wrote. So. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Tell you what. Uh, you know, and what's interesting is also on the Saturday evening session that there were no uh, no women speakers whatsoever. Um, not a single woman in invited to talk in that particular session of general conference. And of course, that is a very, very uh, par for the course. Any any last thoughts, guys, here? Or we're wrapping things up here. Any last thoughts on the Mormon News for the week or general conference? What are you expecting to see uh, for, for this session that's happening today? Any last thoughts? Well, I will tell you that uh, Mormonish uh, co-hosts, Landon and Rebecca, we are actually, um, we're going to go to Temple Square in a little while here. And we're, of course, we're not going in. We couldn't get tickets. Um, but we're just going to go down there and kind of soak up the ambiance, see what everything is like. So we're, we're excited to see and excited to hear anecdotally of the rest of conference. So I'm thinking we maybe ought to wear our swimwear up there. Maybe we should. <laughs> I, uh, apparently, according to Elder Gong's talk, it only works if you're such an attractive person. Yeah. Okay? Now, I, yeah. Uh, I cannot possibly judge anyone based on those factors, based on, on the fact that I have a face that is built for podcasting. So I can't, I can't judge you in that respect. But all I, all I can say is, all I can say is, you know, the, 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 the shiny, what is it, the, the, the early bird gets the worm. You know. Yeah. Give it a shot. Well, thanks so much, guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the Mormon News Roundup. Thanks for being a joint collaboration. Really appreciate that. Um, uh, we're we're going to be tuning into the Mormon uh, Mormonish Roundup, uh, a Mormonish podcast as well. I uh, want to refer everybody to that. And uh, you know, th shout out to Weird Alma for this uh, week's music. And th thanks so much for ruminating with me on the Great and Spacious Beehive. Remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop either one of our uh, shows from progressing. So long. Bye bye. Hey there, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to the Mormon News Roundup. And if you are enjoying this show, please consider making a donation. Patreon makes an important contribution to helping us ruminate on the great and spacious beehive here. So thanks so much to everyone for, for supporting us on Patreon.com. <laughs>